Was that okay? Well, that yeah. last, I played the wrong chords during the bridge, but. You didn't notice? I didn't notice. Okay. Jordan noticed. I just, uh, I just learned to let it go. <laughs> That's the next song, right? Let it go. Let it go. Before creation, eternity in your hands, and you spoke my life into motion, my soul now to stand. You stood before my faith. 
carried the cross for my shame. My sin weighed upon your shoulders, my soul now stands. So what can I say? And what can I do? Offer this heart, oh God, completely to you. What can I say? What can I do? But offer this heart, oh. pray. God, we open our hearts to you right now, wherever we are. We pray for the soil of our hearts to uh, just be stirred up right now, to um, get us ready for what you want to deposit in us today. God, we pray that in this season where for many of us it feels like everything is being shaken, that you would rush in and that we would be really intentional and mindful to um, seek you and um, press in and hear what you would have to say to us in this time and be about what you're about. Uh, we thank you that you are moving across the world and that you, uh, nothing escapes your notice, God. And we ask that you would just come into our living rooms and our bedrooms where we are right now and speak to our hearts, the things we need to hear from you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Good morning, Blue Water. Antonio and Johanna coming at you from a patch of grass in our yard. And that part of stuff that Taka with me. <laughs> Let's continue our worship with our tithe. If you're new or visiting, please do not feel obligated to give, but consider this service and our community are offering to you. I like that. Thanks. 
On that note, if you're new or visiting, please sign up for our email updates. We use it about once a week for important communication. Signups are for old timers too. You know, you'll be surprised who hasn't signed up yet. You don't say. Yeah. So, if that's you, go to our website, scroll down, and fill in your name and email address. Back to the offering. You can give in two ways, online or... Check mail to the office. The world says there's never enough. Generosity is one way we make God big so that we can overcome the world. This week is another week of the stay-at-home work-from-home order, but it's a special one. We begin Holy Week today. During Holy Week, the worldwide church celebrates Jesus' story of death and resurrection. At Blue Water, we gather on Good Friday and Easter Sunday. And this coming Sunday, we'll have the Good Friday service at 6.30 p.m. as usual. Perfect! I requested off early on Friday so that I could make it to Magic Island on time. Well, this year it's online. <laughs> I figured that by now. I just didn't realize it back then. Well, see you on time online. <laughs> we'll also have a potluck following our Easter celebration service. Really? Yeah! How are we going to do that? Um, we're working on it. Do you have any good ideas? How about we all dress up like unicorns uh, and... It'll probably look something like this service, except uh, everyone in their home, but with a virtual way to meet up. Cool! Will it be a rainbow potluck? Yes! Woohoo! Several community service opportunities are opening up around Blue Water. You can find info for it on bluewatermission.org. BlueWaterGoodSamaritan.org is a delivery and volunteer service for our Kapuna. There are also opportunities to donate meals and feed houseless communities. There's lots of stuff going on that we've heard about, and there's a lot of stuff going on that we haven't heard about yet. Right on, Blue Water. Keep doing your thing. The prayer line will be open today after the sermon from 10.30 till 11 a.m. Email julia bluewatermission.org with your name and phone number. Now let's pray for the Keiki. Keiki, can you stand? And those around, you can extend a hand of blessing toward them. Holy Spirit, we pray that you bring our precious Keiki your peace, hope, and love. Color their world with your word, God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Good morning, Blue Water. Hi, my name is Lori Sun, and I'm privileged to have the opportunity to share how God has been speaking to me in different ways, uh, directly and through people around me, and uh, I'm happy to share that this morning. Uh, this experience happened a few weeks ago where I came to church and uh, I was uh, given a prophetic word from Michelle Yip, and her prophetic word was simple it was basically an invitation from the lord to to fast and to have intimacy with him and to hear from him and for me that was a great confirmation because amazingly just the day before was my first time fasting ever and the reason i had decided to fast the morning before on saturday was because the night before which was friday night we had a small group bible study at our house and one of our friends, he's a new believer, he was sharing with us how 
he was fasting and his purpose for fasting was dieting purposes. And we were challenging him and saying, you know, actually the Bible talks about fasting for spiritual purposes. And that was a new concept for him. And then I confessed to him that for me, fasting had been something I thought about, but I had some fear about it. I felt like I didn't have the courage to do that. And he encouraged me and he said, here's, here's my pointers and you should do it. And so the next morning I had said, well, yeah, if our friend can do it for dieting purposes, I think I can do this uh, to seek the Lord. So I had fasted on Saturday and to be able to have uh, Michelle con confirm that on Sunday um, just showed me that the Lord was saying, yeah, this is the right thing that I want you to do right now. And so during that time of fasting on Saturday, the Lord had given me a word about repentance and had uh, specifically called me to pray for for, um, for for myself, for my family, my wider family, for our community, for our state, for our country, and for the world. And uh, had given me a word uh, even for Jordan and Sonia and um, their family and really was uh, focused on um, I thought about Lauren Cunningham, the founder of YWAM, who came a few weeks ago, and that he's 85 years old. And I thought, wow, Jordan and Sonia, you know, uh, they talk about being 50 or around 50 years old, but they still have a whole lifetime ahead of them. Um, and and what, what's next for them, Lord, and their family? And so I, I prayed for their future. And uh, to come to church on Sunday, uh, Jordan had shared about the potential opportunity of the, the new property in Manoa. And I, I, I feel like there's a sense that um, there's something uh, bigger on the horizon. And so during my week of fasting, it was the Lord was blessing me every morning with a word. I would have a short time in meditation and, and the Lord would give me another word and another word, very simple words like sacrifice and service. And it was just a way for me to focus my, 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 my day of fasting and prayer. And so I just wanted to share that with you, um, encourage you uh, to be on the lookout. Um, I think the Lord's wanting to speak to us directly and through others all the time. And it's a matter of us uh, being willing to pay attention and giving him space even if it's not much space i was still working throughout the week but it was just a short time and finding ways uh, to have that time um, and dedicate it to the lord was a real blessing and so what i think that means uh, for our, our church and our community is to continue to do that um, and to continue to seek fasting and the lord and see how he speaks to us directly and through others uh, for what's next and especially during this time of the, uh, the virus and the pandemic, I think um, this is really a time of, you know, the Lord showed me to, to bring a time of repentance um, and to prepare for what he has next. I think that we've said before that uh, before a time of revival, um, there's a time of repentance. And I believe that's the time we're in now to prepare for what God is going to do next. I um, thank you for this opportunity to share. and. Uh, may you all be blessed. Well, Father God, as we have lifted uh, our hearts to you, please come and fill our hearts with your presence this morning. I pray that you would uh, lead us forward, that you would speak to us so that we could be obedient. You would give us good things to do and guidance as we do them. We pray, Lord, that you would be our ever-present shepherd. We thank you, Lord, for the community in which you've placed us. And we pray humbly that uh, you would cause us to shine like a light. 
that we would be all that we need to be this week. In Jesus' name, everybody says. Amen. There they go. Uh, it's become typical the last few weeks for us to start with the virus update. There are, um, last I checked, uh, something over 300 confirmed cases in Hawaii, which means that we've had a steady growth of coronavirus cases on the islands, but not an explosive growth. So there's a little bit of good news in that. Um, I've been following uh, the rate of testing uh, as the information has become available from the government and it's clear that whatever number we have right now having to do with confirmed cases, it's, an <clears throat> it's a somewhat inaccurate number because there are huge delays in getting results from the tests that people are getting. So we don't really know. A better number to watch is the number of hospitalizations for uh, COVID-19 that we are seeing in Hawaii. And right now, uh, the number of hospitalizations is still just in the dozens, which is bad but kind of good news compared to what it could be. Sadly, we've had a few deaths this week, three apparent deaths. Um, there's some controversy around them because perhaps not all of them were from the coronavirus. It could be that, um, that one elderly gentleman died of something else while he had the coronavirus. But however you cut it, it's sad to see them go. And our hearts, of course, go out uh, to the families. <clears throat> as horrible as it all sounds, it's way better than many people feared it would be in the islands. And of course, we pray it gets no worse. Uh, than this. The question on everybody's mind is, will it get worse? That's a question that we're asking here in the islands and that people are asking elsewhere in the country, of course. And this has been a week of modeling. If you've been following the newscasts uh, to any degree, you know that the federal task force came out with their model of what they think the coronavirus is going to do uh, over the next weeks. Um, and there's a lot of controversy around the modeling because they're just huge unknowns. And there are huge variations in these models that we're getting from the authorities. Um, sometimes those variations uh, span orders of magnitude, like factors of 10. Um, and so it's, it's just really hard to tell what the future is going to bring, although there is always some comfort in trying to put a number to it. Uh, and so I've been intrigued uh, by the way people are going about trying to model what the future is going to bring. Right now in the world, I think it's safe to say that Italy is our worst case. Uh, Italy is the country that has been hit worst, uh, at least outside of China, because I think most people agree that we don't really have the true numbers from what's going on in China, but we do have good numbers from Italy, and, and they're our worst case. And I noted this week that the official model of the future put forward by the federal task force, when I do the math, predicts that the United States will be worse off than Italy has been. Um, and I don't know why that is. And, um, and then as the week progressed, a lot of other experts weighed in and said, yeah, I don't know why that is either, why they would say that. Uh, no explanations have been uh, given. Similarly, I've seen models from the scientific community for Hawaii and, and they range between like some dozens of deaths to like 25,000 deaths or more uh, in the islands, uh, which is kind of no model at all, really. I mean, if there's like that much variation. 
Um, nobody knows. Nobody knows. And that's the thing that's weighing on us right now. The truth is, yeah, we don't know what the future is going to bring. But the reality is that people want to know. And so they're trying to put numbers to it. They're trying to put a curve to it. They're trying to get some certainty about things that are fundamentally uncertain. It would all be a fascinating social experiment in my mind, except for the, the fact that people are actually suffering and there's a reality on the ground uh, that is extraordinarily uh, bad for at least a number of people. And even our safety measures uh, have become extremely costly. Uh, they are costing our country and the world economically at a level unlike anything we've ever seen. The things that we're doing to make ourselves safe are just going to cause incredible damage. Life has changed for everyone and it's going to be changed uh, for a while now. And depending on who you are, that's really scary. Or maybe not. Depends how comfortable you are with the unknown. As I said last week, I think faith means accentuating positive potentials at least as much as negative potentials. You have to be, you have to be open to both. We should be prudent, but uh, we should not be afraid. And when bad things happen, as they sometimes do, we should work those problems with faith and not with terror. Um, <clears throat> fear freaks out, but faith finds a way. And people can become frozen in fear, but faith never freezes people. Faith releases people to be active and to be creative, to do things that have never been done before, to find a new way uh, fearlessly. And I love the way that I'm feeling faith in the Blue Water community. Um, <clears throat> you heard some about that in our announcements uh, this week. You can go to the website and pick up more information about that. The community is loving one another and loving the world using different methods, creative methods, but it's still the community of God loving people as it should be. So I encourage everyone to just give yourself to the working of God's love in the world. And let me just say it, we'll be okay. You know, we'll be okay. We will go from strength to strength before uh, we appear to God in Zion, as the psalm says. We will find a way. That's the virus section of the sermon. Now we'll get to our warm-up question. Uh, I have two. You guys ready? Ready. Uh, number one, warm-up question number one. Would you like to live the sort of life in which you just needed God to provide something out of nothing? Would you like to live the sort of life in which God had to provide for you out of nowhere because you needed a miracle? I'm seeing a lot of... Are you asking us? I'm asked. That's the warm-up question. That's a tough question. Ooh. Heck yeah. Heck no. All right, we have, we have a variation in answers from the very, very small crowd uh, in the office uh, this morning. All right, warm-up question number two then. Maybe this is, is easier for you all. Would you rather have a lot of money or just a little money? Oh, a lot. A lot of money. A lot. Okay, that's a uniform. <laughs> we, want, we want a lot of money. Uh, if you're smart, I think you should answer that question very subjectively. 
Uh, do you want a lot of money? Well, how would you handle a lot of money? Would it be good for you? Would it be bad for you? What would it do to you? And how would you use that money? Me, <clears throat> I'm a spiritual giant. So I don't want a lot of money. I just, I, I don't want a lot of money. It just seems like I always want more money than I have. That's the thing uh, with me. Uh, maybe some of you can relate. <clears throat> of course, there's a difference between having money and using money. Like, I'd like to think that if I had a lot of money, then I would use a lot of money. I would invest in a good causes. I would give it away. I would be fantastically generous, and that would just be a blast. In other words, if God gave me millions and millions of dollars, I would be a great flow-through. I would be a distribution hub for resources. Then I think that would be a lot of fun, and I hope that's what I would do uh, were God to give me a whole bunch of money. But would I do that? Because, you know, we all know that money is a bit addictive, uh, don't we? In the world right now, there are a lot of recently rich people who now suddenly aren't rich anymore because the stock market has crashed, because businesses are drying up, because global commerce has just vanished overnight. And I had a friend uh, I was talking to recently who in the span of the few days lost half of her net worth. You know, had a great attitude about it. You know, she was like, yeah. Easy come, easy go. Um, <clears throat> I would like to think that my response would be similar. Uh, when I think about these things, I, I almost always think of this friend that I had. This was years ago. I had just graduated from college, and I was, uh, I was, living, uh, <laughs> I was living the ministry life. I was living in a, in a very downtrodden neighborhood in a community house. We were doing a lot of street ministry. And, and having uh, homeless people and addicts come live with us in the house. This was doing the, the crack epidemic. So we, we were helping these crack addicts get off of crack and a super violent neighborhood. And of course, I was just living on a shoestring. But we had a small group, what we call an Ohana group at Blue Water. We had a small group in our living room in this house, in this terrible neighborhood where we lived. And the group grew very large and it gathered people from the neighborhood, but also people from from uh, other neighborhoods to come, and it was a great group. It was a wonderful group, one of the best I've ever been a part of. And there was a fellow in that group who uh, had come to the Lord, and he just had a great life story. Um, he had a very hard upbringing. He lived in some material deprivation, uh, but he also had health issues. He had been an enormously obese man, like over 400 pounds, and he was a short little guy. Uh, and by the time I met him, he had, la he had lost over half of his body weight. You know, so he sort of got his health under control. He came from nothing. He was uh, sort of an agricultural worker, and he taught himself computer programming. And he uh, had gotten himself some decent jobs and, and amassed a certain amount of wealth there in Silicon Valley. Uh, but that's kind of a boom and bust economy. Uh, and uh, he had lost his job, his computer skills had become outdated, he was scrabbling to update his coding skills. And the year before I met him was a year of unemployment, and he was sharing about it one night at small group uh, during a week in which he was feeling particularly anxious. And he said, you guys won't believe this, but there was a month last year during my unemployment in which I only had $600 in my checking account. He said, this was... Um, 
uh, around 1990. So $600 was worth slightly more, but still not very much money. I only had $600 in my account. And what I remember from that evening is my reaction. It's like, for the last four years, I have never, ever had more than $300 to my name. <laughs> you know? And I feel pretty good right now because I was able to pay my monthly bills and I still have $120 in my checking account. I was feeling like I had it together, you know? And this guy was like, you won't believe it, but there was a time when I only had $600 in my checking account. And that moment uh, struck me, you know, obviously it struck me because I still remember it decades later. Um, and then what happened to the fellow afterwards uh, struck me because, you know, he did succeed to get another job, but of course, you know, no job is endlessly secure. And he doubled down on his profession. And basically what happened was his, his job dedication, his financial anxiety ended up dominating his schedule and it drew him away from the church. Eventually it sort of eroded his faith. He got in a bad relationship and, and just tanked started gaining weight again, and then eventually I lost track of him. A great guy taken out by, well, what was that, material anxiety, I guess. And I remember in that season, considering his experience, there was no doubt in my mind that I had accomplished less than that man had accomplished. With his life, he had overcome amazing things by the time that I met him. There was no doubt in my mind that I had less to show for my work than he had for his work because he had effected great change in his life, he had amassed more wealth, he had just done a lot more stuff than I had done at that, more, that point in my life. He'd accomplished more and he had more. And yet, there was no doubt in my mind that I was way more free than he was. And I made a, a resolution in my spirit during that season that I would never let myself forget that. That in the midst of my own striving, I would never forget watching a fellow self-destruct for lack of freedom. It wasn't for lack of resources. It was for lack of freedom from resources. And somehow that has stuck with me. And it has to do uh, with the Bible story that we are studying this morning. We are in a sermon series um, out of the Gospel of Matthew, and it's called Stuff Jesus Did. Uh, and we're finding out today that one of the things that Jesus did is that he challenged people. He challenged people. And our text this morning is from Matthew chapter 19, verses 16 through 30. You can follow along in your Bibles at home. We're going to throw the scripture up on the screen, I'm sure. I will read it from my Bible here. <clears throat> the heading for this story in Bibles is often called the rich young ruler or the rich young man. He was the elite, the elite guy. <clears throat> and the story goes like this. Now a man came up to Jesus and asked, Teacher, what good thing must I do to get eternal life? It's a great question. Why do you ask me what is good? Jesus replied, there is only one who is good. If you want to enter life, obey the commandments. Which ones? The man inquired. Jesus replied, well, do not murder, do 
not commit adultery, do not steal, do not give false testimony, honor your father and mother, and love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus lists some of the biggies. All these I have kept, the young man said. What do I still lack? It's a very interesting question because here's a guy um, who had a lot in life. We're going to find out he's quite wealthy. He had kept all of the commandments, but still he has this sense of lack in himself. And it drives him to ask questions of Jesus. What do I still lack, though? Jesus answered, If you want to be perfect, or literally, if you want to complete it, go, sell your possessions, and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then, come follow me. Well, when the young man heard this, he went away sad because he had great wealth. Which is an interesting reason to be sad. Then Jesus said to his disciples, I tell you the truth, guys, it is hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. Again, I tell you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle, ouch, than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. Very famous phrase. When the disciples heard this, they were greatly astonished and asked, Well, who then can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, With man this is impossible, but with God all things are possible. Okay, come on, give me an amen. amen. With God all things are possible. But Peter answered him, We've left everything to follow you. What then will there be for us? Peter's feeling a little secure after all of this. Jesus said to them, I tell you the truth, at the renewal of all things, when the Son of Man sits on his glorious throne, you who have followed me will also sit on twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. And everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or children or fields for my sake will receive a hundred times as much and will inherit eternal life. But many who are first will be last, and many who are last will be first. Another famous phrase. Just loaded with good nuggets, that story. All right, so let's unpack it a bit. Uh, if you didn't pick up on it, if you don't know, uh, in Jesus' time, in the place where he lived, there was a cultural bias. Uh, and it was that people were rich because God favored them. If you were a rich person, it was a sign that God was really into you because he blessed you and gave you a lot of wealth. You know, and there's a certain sort of logic to that. If your life is going really, really well, it seems like God has blessed you. If your life is um, deprived of some fundamental thing, if it seems like you're just scraping by, well, it seems like maybe God has refused to bless you and maybe he's not that into you, as the kids say these days. Well, that's the background, and this guy uh, approaches Jesus. It turns out that he's a very wealthy guy, and he's like, well, what do, I, what do I need to inherit eternal life, which tells me right away that this guy, well, he's into security, isn't he? The ultimate security would be eternal life. You work hard to secure your life on earth. This guy was of a mind to secure his life in the next in the next life as well. 
Um, he's making a theological statement, this young man, when he asks the question, because Israel was quite divided. They're, the, the dominant religious political party of the day did not believe in an afterlife. So in asking Jesus, what must I do to inherit eternal life, he's kind of taking Jesus' side in the spiritual theological debate of the day. All a, a very poignant and very nice interaction uh, at, that, at that point. All of it is, is rather a, a lovely interaction. It gets deep pretty quickly, though, as often is the case with Jesus. Starts formally, good teacher. Um, teacher, what, uh, he used to say in the NIV, or teacher, what, must, what good thing must I do to inherit eternal life? Uh, he uh, refers to Jesus with respect. And Jesus answers him with just a, a hint of provocation. You know, Jesus is always trying to take the conversation deeper. He always answers the question behind the question. And so uh, this young man says, well, teacher, what good thing must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus is like, oh, well, we're talking about goodness, huh? Well, only one is good. That would be God. Uh, and Jesus is provoking the young man, I think, to try and get the man to consider who he thinks Jesus is. Like, really, you think I'm an authority? Um, are you coming to me? Or do you just want to have a theological conversation? Uh, this becomes important later. <clears throat> Jesus ends his provocative response by saying, well, everybody knows you just have to follow the commands of God. Right? I think there's a little little provocation there because the guy says, well, I followed these commands. Jesus lists a number of uh, the biggies. Like I said, do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not give false testimony, honor your father and mother. These are all commandments out of the big Ten Commandments. It's interesting to me that one of the Ten Commandments Jesus doesn't list here is you shall not covet. You shall not covet what other people have, which might have been a provocative thing to list when talking to a very wealthy person. But anyway, well, keep the commandments, which was the obvious answer, was the safe answer that everybody would have expected Jesus to, to give. And indeed, the young man responds to him and says, yeah, well, I've done that. I've done that. I've done the obvious things. What thing do I still lack? And I think that's where the conversation gets real. You know, said, yeah, I, 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 I've done the right thing. Just, I, I know, I know, only God is good. And, but the guy is kind of implicitly admitting, look, Jesus, I've done my best to get everything right. Um, I'm a rich guy. Everybody thinks I'm blessed by God. I'm kind of admitting to you that I have this gnawing feeling in my gut that something's missing. And I'm a little freaked out about what the future is going to bring. It seems like you might know something I don't. Rabbi, share it with me. You know, That's kind of the subtext of what's going on. What do I still lack, he says. And Jesus responds in kind. He says, well, if you want to be perfect, and again, that word in the Greek could be translated complete. If you want to fill in all of the blanks, right? Because I can tell you're that kind of guy. I can tell you're the kind of guy that really wants to wire the game. You want to nail it. <clears throat> Do this. You need to buy your freedom. 
he says. You need to sell everything you have and you give all that money to the poor. And then you can follow me. Come follow me. So Jesus gets around to giving the guy the invitation that Jesus always gives people, which is follow me. Just, just leave your life, join my life, walk around with me, do what I do, do what I say. That's the secret. That's the key. Follow. Follow the Lord. Don't just tick boxes. You know, follow the Lord. But he says you're going to have to sell everything you have and give it away so that you can do this. It's kind of implicitly what Jesus is saying. And then the guy gets crestfallen. He's like, oh, crud. You know, I got a lot of money. Whew, that's hard. And it says he walks away sad. And technically, we don't really know what he did. There are some legends in the early church about who that guy was and what he might have done. But in this instance, he just kind of walks away because he's got, wow, I don't know if I want to do that. I don't know if I want to do that. And Jesus' interaction with the guy at that point kind of begs a question, which is, why does this guy have to sell everything he has in order to follow Jesus? I mean, I mean is, is that strictly necessary? I mean, do we as Christians need to sell everything that we have and give it to the poor in order to consider ourselves Christians, in order to follow the Lord really well? <clears throat> why, did, why did this guy have to do it? And the guy's response shows the answer to that question because at the end of the day, he chose his money over following Jesus. He can't tell Jesus, yes, I'll do it. You know, it turns out that money was a bigger deal to him than the pursuit of God was. He was the sort of guy that wanted to do everything well but he wasn't the sort of guy who was willing to pay any cost. And there's a difference between those two types of people. Um, <clears throat> because he wasn't willing to pay any cost, because he, he felt that his security lay somewhere other than in God, um, he couldn't follow Jesus freely. And, and I think that's obviously what Jesus was pointing to. And, and, uh, and that's why he told this guy to go sell everything that, that he had. Uh, when push came to shove, this rich young man was the kind of guy to choose his job over his discipleship, his profession over his following of Jesus. He was the sort of guy to choose wealth over the work of the kingdom. He would let his own billfold get in the way of the kingdom work of, of love, evidently. This was the sort of guy that would choose earthly security over eternity. And it's just that Jesus revealed it in very potent terms. And the whole thing played out right there in front of everyone. It played out right there in front of the disciples. And so there's a part two to this story where the disciples freak out a bit because They've just seen Jesus sort of take down a rich guy. And remember, rich people were the people that this culture exalted as godly people. Because if you were rich, you were blessed. If you were prosperous, it's because God made you prosperous. God must love you especially much. That was their thinking. And then 
they see Jesus just kind of dismantle that in front of them. And it freaks them out a little bit. And, uh, and they say, Lord, well, I mean, if this guy isn't in good shape with God, then who is? I mean, how, how does this work? And Jesus responds to them and says, oh, man, it's so hard for rich people to get in, you know. Well, who can get in then? <clears throat> and Jesus, in my mind, takes a breath and looks at them uh, and, and, and says, well, you know, all things are possible with God. Yeah, it's, it's hard for a rich person to get into heaven. I mean, it would be easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle. Um, but, I mean, we're in the business of miracles. I mean, God is in the business of doing miracles for people. Don't freak out, guys. With God, all things are possible, or all things are possible for God, depending on your translation. It's as if he's saying, look, it's not... It's not the system of salvation that you need to worry about. It's your relationship with God, right? This is not a tick-the-boxes sort of enterprise, gentlemen. This is a are-you-tight-with-God-or-not sort of enterprise. You know, your hope is in Him, not in tick-boxes, frankly, not in commandments, and certainly not in wealth and earthly security or anything around you. God makes it possible. If you're not following God, then no matter what boxes you've ticked, you probably lack something. That's what Jesus is saying to them. Peter, <clears throat> filled with insecurity, at that point does a, uh, does a Peter type of thing. He's always the guy who asks the impetuous questions and takes the impetuous actions and, and he's trying to do the math fast in his head. I think Peter's trying to keep up with what Jesus is saying, but this has been a very weird day for Peter. And so what he bursts out with is, Lord, we've left it all to follow you. You know, it's like, are, are, are we in the right? Have we done okay? You just told this guy to give up everything to follow you. Uh, I, I think I did. I think I did. There was that time where I left my nets and I left my boat and... You know, my family's not very pleased right now because I'm gallivanting around the countryside ministering to people instead of home providing for them. I'm living a very freaky life. I don't have like two... like a little kid sometimes. We did that. Yeah, he's exactly like a little kid. He's unfiltered, Peter is. Like, well, I, you should bless me, Jesus. You should bless me, Jesus. I, I listened. I did. We've left it all to follow you. What do we get? Are we going to be Okay which shows that Peter kind of gets it, but kind of doesn't get it. And, and Jesus answers him, I think, quite generously and says, look, you know, at the end, at the end of days, you know, you 12 are going to have 12 thrones, and you're going to be right there with me, uh, you know, governing in righteousness. You guys are, are, are very special to me. Don't worry about it. Um, you are not less secure than you were previously. Sure, you've left family. Sure, you've left your fields. You've left your jobs. You left what little money you had. But in fact, you've made a great trade. He says, no one who has left any of these things to follow me will fail to get a hundred times more by following me. Um, don't ever consider yourselves under-resourced, is how I would paraphrase 
what Jesus says to them. It's like, even if it looks a little deprived right now, even if you feel like you've left a lot, please be mindful that you've also gained a lot. And no one who follows me is ever under-resourced, guys. No one who follows me is ever under-resourced. And that's the key idea for me. It's encapsulated in this phrase, in this hyphenated word, under-resourced. <clears throat> Are you under-resourced? Under Do you feel under-resourced in life? I think that's almost a human habit. I think we all tend to feel under-resourced. Oh, I don't want a lot of money. I just need a little more than I have. <laughs> you know, under-resourced, it haunts us. I find that we usually think that no matter how much money we have, we don't quite have enough. No matter how many resources at our disposal, no matter how big our network, we need just a little more to fill in the blank, whatever it is that you feel like you ought to do. And I think that attitude, that feeling, is a huge problem in Jesus' eyes. Because if you feel under-resourced in life, it makes you hesitant. If you worry about whether you're under-resourced in life, it makes you afraid. And given an unknown, uncertain future, how do you really measure if you're under-resourced or well-resourced? Because you don't know what the future is going to bring, do you? Worse yet is the condition in which we feel under-resourced and yet are terrified of losing the little bit that we have. You know, I think a lot of people are like that. It's like the worst of all worlds. Not only do I not have enough, really, I might well lose what I have. And people live, <clears throat> well, they live on a hamster wheel. They feel like they need to run to stand still. I find a lot of people live in that space. I don't have enough to feel secure, and I'm insecure about what I have. Will I be able to hold on to it? What's going to happen next month? And into the chaos of that situation, Jesus says one simple thing. All things are possible with God. All things are possible with God. That's really where your hope lies. Not in tallying up, not in ticking boxes, not in confidently predicting what's going to happen in the future. No. Your security lies with this. All things are possible with God. No matter who you are, no matter how much you have, no matter what the season of the world, no matter what the future looks like. It's always been that. And Jesus is so passionate about that that on occasion he's told rich people to sell everything they've had. On occasion, he's taken working-class people and torn them away from everything that they've ever known just so that they understand where freedom really is. All things are possible with God. That's his me message. <clears throat> How do you know what makes for security in life? How do you know what makes you secure? How do you model the future in such a way that you can confidently predict whether or not you're going to make it. There are too many unknowns. There are too many variables. The curve is too unpredictable. You have no idea what next month will bring. And the world is learning that in a big way right now, aren't they? They're trying so hard to kind of model the future. 
right? Because this, this is a time of incredible chaos and threat. Tell me what the numbers say. Tell me what the curve is going to be. Tell me whether we're going to have enough. Tell me what's going to happen at the end of it. And the fact is, there's no authority that can tell you that. There never has been. It's just a little more obvious right now than usual. <clears throat> so does your freedom lie in God? Or does your freedom lie in being prepared for an uncertain future? Having enough money? Having a secure profession? Having a secure place? Where does your security lie? We're about to find out. <laughs> We're about to find out because the world has changed in a big way. And it's changed in ways that we don't fully understand yet. We're about to find out where our security lies. Uh, and that is either an exciting prospect or a terror, depending on who you are. No one has left family or fields without receiving a hundred times more, Jesus says plus eternity, you know, plus on top of all of this, this life is only a warm-up, you know, there is an eternal life, and that's where things make the most sense. That's the only place where things really get secure. That's a dear verse to me, no one has left family of fields without receiving a hundred times more. Uh, it's been an important life verse for me. Uh, materially speaking, in my life, by American standards, I've never had much and there's been a lot of instability in my life situation on occasion. But I know that if I were ever in real trouble, there are dozens of households all around the world who would take me and my family in if necessary. Because my wealth in the kingdom of God is, well, the activity of God in my life. And the family uh, of God that I have received through my life of of participating in the kingdom. There are good Christian people that I know literally all over the world, you know, multiple continents. I have perfect confidence uh, would take me and mine in in an emergency situation because that's the way of love, because that's how Christians are. That's how serious Jesus followers are. And it has occurred to me on many occasions that no one would ever have enough money to guarantee that they could go anywhere in the world and find shelter. It's really hard to do. Uh, but I can do it. I can do it just by virtue of faith and love. Uh, just because God has raised up an extraordinary people of love and generosity, and I have been blessed with knowing more than my fair share of those people. I know that even if my life turned upside down by following Jesus, I would find a way forward a way that made me feel meaningful and secure. I know this because I've had occasion to experience, because I've gone through seasons where my life has turned upside down, where I have at least felt as if I have lost everything, everything I planned fell apart. And what I've discovered is that in those times, I can just listen for the voice of Jesus, and he will tell me something, and I will follow it, and it will lead somewhere. Eventually, it will lead somewhere good. I have proven that in my life uh, more than once. Uh, there have been occasions in my life where you'd be tempted to look at me and say, wow, that guy has nothing, nothing but crisis. That's been true, almost. 
There have been times in my life where I've had nothing but crisis and Jesus. And it turns out that's been enough. As Jesus makes a way. I've got loads of stories of God's provision in my life. God providing out of nowhere because I've needed God to provide out of nowhere. God providing me with cash when I had no job and no income. God providing me and my family with housing. God providing me and my family with cars out of nowhere. And you've heard me share some of those stories, and I could share a lot of them uh, this morning. But this passage this morning really isn't about, really not about God's provision uh, per se. It's about what might hold you back from living the sort of life that requires God to provide for you out of nowhere. That's what it's about. What might hold you back? Is it your fear about security? Have you misplaced your, secur- your security? Have you trusted the wrong thing? Are you anxious about the wrong things? That's what this passage is about today. And so in that spirit, uh, some tips for application in our life. Jesus tells the rich young man, sell everything you have, give your possessions to the four. Get, get rid of all um, potential for false security. And then he says, follow me. Follow me which, as I said earlier, is the thing that Jesus says to everyone. Security always lies in following Jesus. Period. Full stop. That's all there is. Always follow Jesus. That is security. What has Jesus told you to do recently? That's the most important question you can ask yourself in uncertain times. It may well be the most important question you can ask yourself at any time, but certainly in uncertain times. What has Jesus said to me recently? What's the Lord saying to me recently? If you don't know what God has said to you recently, find out. It is time for you to listen for God's voice in your life and to listen intently. Because when God speaks to you and tells you something to do, you will suddenly experience security. Even if he tells you to do something that feels rather threatening, I can, I can almost promise you, even though emotions are hard to predict, that you will feel more rooted in the world when you feel that you've actually heard something from God. This is a relationship. There's just no substitute for interacting with God. You don't need an angelic visitation from heaven. You don't need like some really big impressive thing. All you need is that conviction in your heart that the Lord is telling you to do something, that the Lord is encouraging you in a certain direction. And then at that point, remember that faith is trying. Try it out. See where it takes you. That, that's it. That's the path of security for those of us who follow Christ in this world. So what has the Lord said to you recently? I mean, find out. Have, have a little fun with that. Enjoy that a little bit. And if you're having trouble doing it on your own, well, I mean, get together with some friends. If not face-to-face, give them a call. Get on a, uh, a Google Hangout or a Zoom, <clears throat> Zoom call or, or whatever you need to do and have them pray with you and listen on your behalf. If you're feeling anxious, I'm telling you that the best thing you can do is to listen open-mindedly to what the Lord is saying to you. You, know, you can have a friend help. Uh, you could send an email and get prayer from the prayer team uh, later this morning, if necessary. They'd be happy 
to listen on your behalf. When I'm insecure and when I have a material crisis in my life, and I have lots of material crises in my life, what makes me feel secure is instructions from the Lord. I've learned that when the stuff hits the fan, the first thing I need to say is, Lord, what should I do? Now, often it's not the first thing I say. The first thing I say uh, is often too colorful to repeat in church. But, but very soon after that, I've learned to say, We're Lord, in church, so go ahead. yeah, <clears throat> you've heard me say these things in church. But very soon after that, I say, Lord, you know, what, what, what's next? You know, what's, what's my next step? I want to know I'm on the path that God is directing. Um, I have lots of great money stories uh, in my life, times where I've had nothing and the Lord has provided out of nowhere. I don't have many stories in my life where the Lord has said, hey, Jordan, amass all the money that you can right now. I don't have many of those stories, but I do have one. I do have one. And it's when Sony and I first moved back to Hawaii, and uh, we had to make that move in these sort of emergent situations. It wasn't like really well planned out. Um, uh, Sonia was uh, seven months pregnant with Jojo when we moved back to the island. And uh, we were living with her uh, parents uh, for a little while after moving back. Her father was convalescing from a rather extensive heart surgery. And we were just kind of doing the Ohana thing uh, for a good while. Um, and so uh, we weren't uh, paying rent uh, at the beginning. And, uh, and I had uh, a ministry job uh, at another church for a while. And out of the blue one day, the Lord spoke to me and said, Jordan, take all the money that you're earning and save it up. Save it up in this season. That's what I'm telling you to do. And I had to double check because God like, never says that to me. You know? Save money. He never says that to me. He often says quite the opposites. But I'm like, sure. You know, I shared it with Sonia. And I think, well, we should live really frugally right now. And we should just pack all the money away that we can. And that's what we're going to do until further notice. So that's what we did for months and months. We just saved and lived frugally. And I, and, and I thought that what was going to happen is that we'd get enough, we'd get a little nest egg together. Maybe eventually it would be enough for a down payment on a house. And uh, we were selling a house on the mainland where we had lived for a while. And we're going to be able maybe to buy something in Hawaii, which is like, you know, sort of miraculous for people in our station. That's what I thought. Uh, what happened. And then, <clears throat> then one afternoon, I was, uh, I was at work and Sonia called me in the middle of the day and there had been a famine uh, in Africa, as unfortunately uh, there often is. Uh, and she had been praying for the poor victims of the famine and she called me up and she said, uh, honey, I think we should take our money and give it to these people. Give, give it all to these people. Um, which is a great phone call to get in the middle of the day, <laughs> you know. And, and I remember my response, you know, it took, me, it took me about two seconds, and I said, yeah, great, write the check. How much do you want to give? Um, because, you know, her calling me is saying that. I mean, my wife is incredibly generous, but that sort of recklessness is something like, I would do that, you know. And so it was just very entertaining to me that the Lord had spoken to Sonia in this instance and saying, no, no. You, uh, you make your husband do it. You make Jordan do it this time. Uh, and so I forget exactly how much we gave away. We didn't like give away absolutely everything that we owned, 
but it was some tens of thousands of dollars and wrote the check and I had I had the 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 great fun of calling up World Vision and saying, hey, I want to give you some money. Uh, and uh, they were like, oh, Pastor Sang, how much do you want to give? And, and they were surprised. It was just a, a great interaction. It was a great, there was great joy in it. And I remember that. Um, so we, we saved up money, but it ended up like not being the savings plan that I thought it would be, you know. Um, in the end, uh, the Lord did provide a house for us quite miraculously uh, and a car for us uh, quite miraculously because you can't outgive God. The reason I'm telling that story is because, you know, it's not whether you're rich or poor, it's whether you're listening to the Lord. And if you're listening to the Lord where money is concerned, I, I can't predict how much you'll have or how much you won't have, but here's what I can predict you'll have interesting money stories. You'll have interesting money stories that will be filled with freedom, at least occasionally great generosity, and a lot of fun interactions and fun conversations. Um, money should equal freedom. Freedom is different than security. We use money for protection. We should use it for freedom. You see the difference? And you have probably lost a lot of money due to the coronavirus crisis. Be free. Be free. You, like the rest of the world, are probably really wondering how to model the future. We don't know. You're insecure. Be free. Be free. Find an alternative form of security in doing what the Lord tells you to do. <clears throat> here's, a, here's a humble brag. Humble brag. It's a humble brag. So, so it's okay. Um, I know that God can trust me with money. That's what I know. I, you know, I've never really had a ton. Um, but because of stories like the one that involves my uh, impetuously generous wife and, uh, and uh, God providing out of nowhere and calling me to give things away sometimes. I, I, just, I, I just know this now. I've walked it with the Lord for long enough that I know that God can trust me with money, uh, whether he gives me a lot or, or a little. Um, what good does it do if I don't have any money? <laughs> you know? I know God won't hesitate to give me the money when I need it. That's what good it does. I know God can trust me with money, and therefore, I know that God has no reason to hesitate um, uh, to give me money when I need it. And, and that's a source of freedom in my soul. You know, uh, we are, uh, we continue, uh, even in these crazy times, uh, we continue to uh, search for a property, a facility for a Blue Water Mission uh, to own, a new place to go. So our current digs are a bit uncertain. Uh, and as uh, you guys know, uh, we have uh, been exploring purchasing uh, a big chunk of property in Manoa. And that deal continues to kind of uh, develop, although I have nothing concrete to tell you. 
But in the early stages of exploring that property, uh, some of the leaders of the church and friends got together and just prayed, well, Lord, is this something that you want to give us? Is this something that you want us to explore? And the Lord spoke to me during that prayer time. It was really interesting what the Lord spoke. He didn't say, yes, I will give it to you. He didn't say, no, don't do this. The Lord spoke to me really, really clearly and really powerfully and said, you will steward it well if you get it. So it was just kind of a vote of confidence. You know, it's just like, well, I'm not going to say whether you're going to get it or not get it, but here's what I'll say. I'll say, I think you'd do a good job with it. And for whatever reason, the Lord thought that was enough to say to me at that moment. And in reflecting, um, it has occurred to me that that was probably the most valuable thing the Lord could say, you know, this, in, in terms of like strengthening me and the other leaders in that moment. It's like, it's always about stewarding it well, whether you have much or little. If the Lord can trust you to steward well and to maintain obedience to God and not misplace your security, then it will go well with you. Because with God, all things are possible. Are you with God? Are you seeking Him first? We don't know what the curve will be in life. We don't know how to model what the virus is going to do. We don't know exactly how to model what the economy is going to do after this economic shutdown that we've seen around the globe. There is no way for us to be prepared for the future. When it comes right down to it, we just don't know. We can be prudent in the moment. That's about what we can do doing the, these, during these unprecedented times. But you can be obedient at all times. And you can be obedient in all things. No matter what uncertainty comes, you can listen for the voice of the Lord and do what you feel the Lord tells you to do. You can go where you feel the Lord is leading you to go. That's all this is. That's what this life is about. Don't look for reassurance right now. One assurance is enough. And we are assured in no uncertain terms that God cares for us. That's assurance. We don't need reassurance. You know, it's nice when the Lord gives votes of confidence. But the fountain of confidence, the source of confidence, never changes. You know, God is with you. You are with God. Look for obedience and freedom right now. That's my tip. You'll receive a hundred times what you need. That's the promise. God will provide definitely. It just might be creative. It might be in a new way. It might come out of left field. You don't know. But the Lord will tell you and the Lord will show you one way or another and you'll get eternal life as a bonus. And that ain't bad. All right, you unruly mob. Do you have any questions you'd like to ask? Let me preempt. I do. What do you say to someone where it says, uh, they say, you know, it, this, it seems too hard, too hard to trust God in that way. Uh, it, feel, it feels safer for me to trust in how I can kind of manage things. Um, and I feel like I'm doing enough for God. 
Yeah, so Kwok's question is, what do I say to someone who right now feels that it's just too hard to trust God so completely? And you said an interesting thing there in the second bit. You said, what do you say to someone who feels like they've already done enough for God, um, meaning they shouldn't have to trust him more? Something like that? Yeah. He's asking for a friend. <laughs> He's asking for a friend. Okay, Quack, we know you're anxious. Um, I mean, that's an interesting question. Um, what, what would I say to someone who feels like it's just too hard to trust God more? Um, and I guess the fundamental thing I would say to such a person is, you know, nevertheless, he's trustworthy. And the message stays the same. You know, God will provide for you. Just don't let your freak out get in the way. Um, but here's what I would say to Blue Water at large during that time. There will be people among us who are doing really well with faith during a time of uncertainty and stress. And then there will be individuals among us who are struggling with anxiety and stress and uncertainty or who are just having a particularly bad day or a particularly bad week. You know, this virus strikes us uh, differently if we're just sort of at home minding our own business than if we actually know someone who's been hospitalized, you know. Um, these are very emotional times. But in our community, uh, we're going to have a range. Let the people with the most faith help, you know, be in touch with one another. Uh, a community of faith is very necessary right now because sometimes I have a bad day, you know, I want to I want to call somebody who's having a good day. I want to know that people are praying for me. I want to know that if I'm too freaked out to hear assuring things from God, somebody else will hear them on my behalf and share them with me. And that is the privilege that we have in a community of faith. So, number one, rely on God. You know, number two, you have reliable people around you who can help you rely on God. And that's why nobody should do this alone uh, right now. We'll get through it and we will get through it together. That's my answer. Before you ask more pesky questions, uh, let's pray. I know, Lord, that you will not be shown false. I know that when you promise to provide, you're not going to be revealed as a liar. You have staked your own word on these promises and we stand on your word. You are good. You are good. And though we might obey imperfectly, though we might not be able to tick all of the right boxes, we nevertheless cling to you. We may not be fully good, but you are and your grace overcomes. It is your delight to give us these promises. I pray, Lord, that you would multiply in our fellowship really interesting stories. Interesting stories about money, interesting stories about provision, interesting stories about providing for others, and interesting stories about faith 
and freedom in the face of fear. We have followed you because you're God, because with you all things are possible. And we just pray humbly that you would be God-like, that you would be everything supernatural and eternal and transcendent that we've always expected you to be. And I pray um, most urgently as a shepherd of this community, Lord, that you would speak plainly and plentifully to people all around the fellowship. Um, That you would speak assurances sometimes, but that you would also speak challenges and that you would give us commands unto action, that you would tell us what to do, that you would give us creative paths forward, that you would call us to be generous even as you are generous to us. We pray, Lord, that these would be glorious times. Glorious times. Because we know that we will end up in a glorious place. Let that kingdom come now, Lord. And let your will be done now. Let the church be the church. Let God be God, church. In Jesus' name, everybody says, Amen. Amen. Uh, we heard a rumor that it's your birthday this weekend. Is that is that true? Yeah, it is my it is my birthday this weekend. Ah, happy birthday! So we're gonna sing happy birthday to you. Oh, that's terrible. <laughs> that's why we're gonna do it. So yes, are you ready? Happy birthday to uh, you! Woo! Happy birthday to you! Woo! Happy birthday, dear Jordan! Happy birthday to you. Social distancing. Hey everyone, thank you so much for joining with us today. I hope you and your family were really blessed with today's service. And maybe you want to take the awesome step to trust God with your life. I hope you'll do it. You won't regret it. Or maybe you need a little help getting God's direction or getting a healing breakthrough. We have our virtual prayer line open today from 10.30 to 11 a.m. So just email julie at bluewatermission.org and our prayer team will pray for you. Remember, stay in touch through your Ohana groups and through our online portals. Now receive this blessing. I bless you in the name of Jesus to be powerfully centered in God's peace, to be exceedingly fruitful in his might, and to enjoy his goodness in big ways this week and in really small ones as well. Aloha, and we'll see you next week for our Easter worship celebration. Good